Well, let's bow once again before the Lord. Ask Him to attend to our time. Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Opportunity to once again open Your Word and to learn from it. Lord, we thank You for what You have taught us thus far and all that You are accomplishing in our lives because of it. Lord, we are grateful that You use Your Word to shape us and mold us and to conform us into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to willingly submit ourselves to it, trusting You with the outcome and desiring only to glorify Your name no matter the earthly cost to us. Let that be the desire of our heart and the intent of our lives all to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We once again are going to focus our attention on verses 12 through 19. And so I'll ask you to follow along as I read these verses for us. The Apostle Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name, let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will be the outcome of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Last Lord's Day, I mentioned to us that I wanted to take a few weeks revisiting the words of God through the Apostle Peter because of the increase that we are all seeing and even some of us experiencing that is going on in our world whereby injustices are being perpetuated upon others by people and by authoritative entities and governments, all of this happening at what seems to be, at least for us here in the West, breakneck speed. Those, I said that it seems whereby injustice is running rampant and it is called justice. In other words, injustice is happening under the guise of justice being defined by its cultural forces that are driving it in that direction. Those with the loudest voices are defining justice 
by carrying out injustice upon anyone who disagrees. And that philosophy, sadly, has even infiltrated the church. A true Christian, you and I, need to be prepared for that. And so I wanted to spend a few weeks helping us prepare for that. And here in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter was well aware of that kind of philosophy whereby justice was being disguised really under the activity of injustice, although it was being proclaimed as justice. And oftentimes even Peter might have known that from his own experience and Certainly he would have known that from the teachings of Jesus Christ because Christ said all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he isn't referring to the normal difficulties of life by means of just living in a sinful and fallen world. The Apostle Peter is not describing things and frustrations that are part of our life because when we drive our car, our tire goes flat. That's not a suffering brought on by God per se, brought on because of your Christianity. He's not talking about plumbing going bad in the house, and that is a frustration to us, or contracting even some kind of sickness. No, Peter's talking about the experiencing of anti-Christian fury that comes from a godless world. Anti-Christian fury. That's what he's talking about. The fiery ordeal among us. Simply because you profess and actually live as a Christian in the world. And in light of that reality, Peter is extremely concerned that we Christians, that we, if we're going to suffer and if we do suffer, that we suffer for the right reasons, that we suffer for what is right. For example, go back just to show you this in the heart of Peter, just throughout First Peter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In what? In your salvation. That's what he talks about in verse 3 to 5. This security and blessing this blessedness that you have because your Lord Jesus Christ has caused you to be born again, in that you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Why? So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Peter said, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. <laughs> In other words, this is who we are. We are aliens and strangers, and therefore we are to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Notice he doesn't say, listen, your fleshly lusts wage war against those who do not agree with you in their fleshly desires and activity. He says, fleshly desires wage war against your soul. They, they battle against you in your own very Christian life. These desires of the flesh, it's an opposite direction for you as a Christian to go. And so keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles because 
the things in which they slander you as evildoers by your good behavior, they may on account of it, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a reality there that by your very life and by how you live under injustices, others can see that and know that God is a gracious God, that God is a real God, and they somehow, in some way, by the grace of God, may come to know Jesus Christ, and they certainly will glorify God when God comes. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, he says, listen, if you suffer in this way, even for under a master that's unreasonable, verse 18, this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What credit is there if when you sin, you are harshly treated and you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, that finds favor with God. It makes no sense, Peter says, for you to suffer for doing wrong things. That that doesn't do anything for you. That doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't increase your spirituality in any kind of way, but when you do what is right and you suffer for it, God is honored by that. Again, over in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, he says, let me sum it all up for you after talking about how a husband and wife and this whole idea of mutual submission. He said, let me sum it all up. Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Why? Because you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You were called to this purpose. That when someone acts evilly against you, you don't return it evilly. You don't respond in like manner. You were called to that very purpose as a Christian. And then he says in verse 14 of that same chapter, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make it a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reference. And keep a good conscience. So then the the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And of course, when we finally get over to chapter 4, verse 1, we learn that we are to arm ourselves for this very purpose. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You know, because suffering in the flesh, suffering this side of heaven for the name of Christ, proves something. It shows something about our true character. And therefore, you and I ought to expect suffering since Christ also endured suffering on this earth. Peter covers the whole gamut. He even talks to elders in chapter 5 in the church. Peter says, not just in the world, it's also in the church. 
chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So suffering is inevitable when we stand for Christ. It's inevitable. It will happen. And because of that, this is where Satan loves to tempt us. This is the the battle zone. This is one of the front lines, if you will, whereby Satan loves to tempt us. And the world's ways are tempting to us, and, and we're tempted to not go the direction we should go, and to be fearful of the opposition, to be fearful to stand fast. And I really believe this is the reason why Many a Christian during a time of challenge, during a time whereby they're being challenged about their own faith, where some ungodly force is coming against them in some kind of way, simply because they're a Christian, many a Christian begin to rationalize their way out, rationalize with their own self and allow the flesh to speak loudly, and they rationalize their way out of even speaking the truth and even standing for the gospel with anybody that comes their direction in whatever sphere of influence God has given them. They just cower. And it isn't as if there is not people within our own spheres of influence that need to meet the Savior. All of us have have people amongst us and around us and within the spheres of influence that God has given us that need to know Jesus Christ. So it isn't as if we don't interact with people every day whereby the temptation is there to compromise the standard which we know to be right. It isn't that we don't know enough as Christians, that we don't know the truth well enough in order to be faithful to God. Even even a, 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 a burgeoning baby Christian knows enough in themselves by the design of God to be faithful to what they know. It isn't that we're ignorant of the gospel. We know that we were blind. We know that we can see. And we know that Jesus is the one that made that happen. So if we know Christ, we truly know the truth. The reality is that, and I think if we're really honest with ourselves before God, reality is we just allow sinful fear to take over. We just allow sinful fear to rule the day. And we're not talking about a, a, a trembling kind of fear where we sit in the corner and cower. No, we, uh, a fear that is expressed through subtle compromise. A fear that is expressed through an unwillingness to stand. We fear what the outcome might be if we do stand. If we stand against the tide so that people know that we're not going to compromise, we fear what might happen, and so we don't stand there. We fear sometimes that if we share the gospel with somebody, they might ask us a question that we don't have the immediate answer to, that we're seems like maybe we're believing something that we cannot explain, and our true hope is that we... They really want to get saved. I mean, we, we really hope that in our heart of hearts. We desire others to get saved, but unfortunately, not at the expense of our appearing as if we believe something we can't explain. 
So instead of sharing the truth or standing uncompromisingly on the truth, we rationalize. We rationalize the obligation away. We relegate our spiritual life to the private prayer closet. We say, ah, just, I'll just be quiet and I'll just pray. We believe that that alone is boldly living for Christ. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong as your pastor. I don't want you to go out of here saying our pastor doesn't believe in prayer. That wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be true at all because I do believe in prayer. In fact, prayer is, of course, of utmost importance for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talk with the one whom we have a relationship with. Prayer is vital But prayer isn't the only thing. What I'm saying is that the Christian life is one that will be filled with sufferings brought on by a godless world. And the reason some Christians rarely face any righteous suffering is because they avoid overt, outward Christian living at all costs. I don't want anybody to really know that I'm a Christian. I don't want anybody to really see the fact that I, I'm truly saved. I'm, I'm, I'll just be more like the world than like the Holy One who has called me to Himself so that nobody notices. It's the proclamation of the Gospel. It's living for and standing with Christ that brings hostility. Why? Because the truth exposes what is untrue. The truth is like the thousand lumen light that shines out in the darkness and brightens everything up. It exposes what is false. And just as there was hostility against the church in the past because of the proclamation of the truth, so there will be hostility against the church today. We even know in our short history of the world, the church in Eastern Europe has been persecuted for years. They're still being persecuted in many, many ways. Thankfully, in some ways, through even through the persecution, they have stood fast and they're experiencing some sense of some kind of quasi-religious freedom. And when we think about that, they're Religious freedom might even be greater than ours. In some ways, might even be greater than ours who live here because it's growing stronger in the aftermath. Here in our country, we're seeing more of an increase in the aggression against the church. Aggression against anything that is helpful to increase any kind of religion, let alone true Christianity, even our Government has said in its newly designed desires to spend more money that some of that money cannot be used for helping religious organizations in their facilities. So the humanistic society in which we live today, one that's filled with the Amoral desires that flow from a godless heart has increased its hostility toward the church. Why? Because the true church speaks against the sins of the culture. 
It's what we do. We stand against the sins of the culture, and for that the culture comes out against us. It hurls its threats against us. It it attempts to quiet the truth. So how do we endure such injustices? How do we endure that? How do we continue to stand fast in the growing increase of hostility against the church? Well, the bad news is that this will end is taking place, right? That's the bad news. I guess if there ever was bad news, that would be some bad news because we wouldn't we don't really like it that way, but the good news is that we can endure it when we heed the teachings of what Peter says here in verses 12 through 19. We can endure. Tells us how to deal with these injustices that man will bring about because of our righteous behavior. The last time I listed them for us, I'll list them again for us if you're taking notes so that you have them, and we'll cover the second two this morning. And they were these, these three principles, steadfastness, worthiness, and trustfulness. Dependent steadfastness, dependent worthiness, and dependent trustfulness. All of these are placed upon that reality of dependence because in and of ourselves we cannot do it. You will not remain steadfast if you are not dependent upon Jesus Christ. You will not remain worthy of it with a right worthiness unless you're dependent upon Jesus Christ. And you certainly will not trust if you do not have a relationship and dependent upon Jesus Christ. So these are not tasks that we conjure up and accomplish on our own. These are all because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we've covered the first of these. For the sake of time, I'll just kind of do a quick review and just say this. When it comes to inevitable hostility that will come because we are Christians, let's make sure we have that in our mind. This is not simply because you do something. This is because of your faith. Inevitable hostility will come because of our faith. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you live out your Christian life as in, in subjection to Jesus Christ, walking in the footsteps of Christ as you're willingly submitting to the things of Christ. You will endure hostility or you will have hostility come your way and you can endure the unjust treatment by the godless world, when you first are dependently steadfast. We learned to be dependently steadfast when we experientially know that we are truly beloved. Remember what Peter said in verse 12? That's how he started, beloved, beloved. We know without a shadow of a doubt in relationship to Jesus Christ that we are loved by the Father. So therefore, everything that takes place is not outside of His perfect plan. It is not a surprise to Him. It is not something we can shake our fists at God and say, God, why is this happening to me? It is all for us to be conformed to His image and the glory of His name. We learn to be dependently steadfast when we maintain, therefore, then a realistic view of the world. Do not be surprised, he says. Don't be 
surprise. This is not our home, and therefore hostility should not come to us as a shock. should not surprise us. And we learned to be dependently steadfast when we learn to rejoice. He says, to the degree that you're suffering with Christ, keep on rejoicing. Verse 13, we rejoice because in the sufferings we are participants with Christ, right? We share the sufferings of Christ, he says, and we have a future hope which is alive and well, right? So that our rejoicing now will turn to a superabounding rejoicing when Jesus Christ comes. All of that reassures us that we are indeed a child of God. So that's the first thing, dependent steadfastness. Let's take the second principle this morning, dependent worthiness, dependent worthiness. Notice what he says in verses 15 through 18. He says, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will be come of the godless man and the sinner? So here, the Apostle Peter is saying to us, if we are going to respond in a way that honors our Lord in the midst of injustices brought about in our life because of our faith in Christ, then we have to assess why we're suffering. We have to make the right assessment as to why we're suffering. According to here in these verses, there are certain things for which we cannot say we are receiving unjust persecution. It is not unjust to suffer, Peter says, as a lawbreaker. Notice, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer. There isn't anything secret, I think, in the word Peter here. There's not any subtle undertone of something different. He's simply saying that if you break the laws, which... God has placed you under by His authority, a la Romans chapter 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. If He has placed you under those authority, then you can expect to be punished when you are doing something wrong. And if you're doing something against the law, then don't cry foul. Don't say, hey, that's unjust punishment. Unless, of course, they're teaching you or telling you by way of a decree, by way of a law, that you are to disregard the things which are clearly commanded in Scripture, you are to do what the law says. So if we willfully take the life of another as a murderer, or if we willfully take the property of another person, you notice he says, Right there, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief. Or just in general, evildoer, someone who's just doing wickedness. Then you can expect to be punished. There's no justification for saying that you should not be punished. In other words, punishing lawbreakers is not unjust. Not unjust. 
doesn't matter how the society says. doesn't matter if the society says that lawbreakers don't need to be punished. Lawbreakers are unjust or doing things that are unjust. And if they do things that are breaking the law, they can be punished and they cannot cry foul. That doesn't surprise us. That should not surprise us as Christians. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 13. God has established the government over us. The authorities that he has given has been established by God. So to go against that, you go against God. In other words, if there's no clear command in Scripture as to clearly say what you are to do and what you should not do, you cannot say with any kind of biblical clarity, at least on that issue, that I can't do that. cannot do that. Let's just go there for a moment just to read Paul's words. In fact, it, it, it might just be profitable for us just to revisit this text as well, just for our own understanding in the days in which we are living. Paul says, Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. That word be in subjection is the word for submission. It's hupatasso. It's willfully, willingly place yourself under. Let every person willingly place themselves under the governing authorities. Why? Because there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. You mean the wicked ones? Yes. They've been allowed, they've been established by God for His glory. Therefore, verse 2, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Paul is simply saying, listen, don't cry foul and unjust when you disobey things which the Scriptures do not command or do not or prohibit or allow in directional ways. Don't don't cry unjust. Why? Because the rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. In other words, God has raised them up to do their task. Now, they have a responsibility for God to do it rightly. They may not do it rightly. They may be, in fact, tyrants. God knows all that. It's a minister of God to you. For good, says. But the big question today oftentimes is who gets to decide the good? Who gets to decide it being a minister of God to you for good? Do we get to decide that or does God get to decide that? Paul said in Romans 8 that God works all things for good to them that love him. They've been called according to his verse. We don't get to decide the good. It's God who decides what good the outcome is by means of whatever authority he has placed us under. We don't get to decide that. We just get to decide whether we're going to submit to God or not submit to God and thereby endure the consequences of that. Let's go back to 1 Peter then. Peter says... Suffer as an, a, a lawbreaker is an unworthy suffering, right? By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. That'd be a lawbreaker. Not because the punishment is not due you, 
but because as Christians, that kind of suffering is to have no place in our life. There is no place in our life for willful, unjust suffering. Unjust, we can't claim it if we're a lawbreaker. It's unworthy of our calling. It does not reflect Christ. So we should not suffer as lawbreakers. But notice Paul also, or Peter also says, as troublemakers. As troublemakers. Troublesome meddler. Troublesome meddler. The word literally means busybody. As a busybody. It describes someone who, who really pokes their nose into the issues that it should not be poked into. Proverbs says it's not wise to grab the ears of a dog that's in a battle. You're going to get bit. It's not your fight. The word has really gone out of use in our day, really, troublesome meddler. We, we, you don't hear anybody say, oh, they're a troublesome meddler. Uh, many of them are by way of their actions, but we don't use the word. But we get the idea from other passages, In fact, just listen for a moment to Proverbs 26, verse 17. Just listen to this. Proverbs 26, verse 17. It's what I just quoted to us. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. He gets involved in something that's strife that's not his. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Thessalonica to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands just as we are commanded. Why would Paul have to say that to Christians? Because it was obvious that there were some who were not applying that exhortation. And so Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, acting like busybodies. Troublesome meddlers. Paul's talking about how we conduct ourselves in society. And I think that's what Peter is saying here in the same way. Don't be a troublesome meddler in society. Some of us speak pretty loudly about civil disobedience and all these kinds of ways to stand against the authorities that God has placed over us. And oftentimes, I would say, if we're not careful, we are being troublesome meddlers rather than Christ-like. Don't ever forget the words of Jesus Christ before Pilate in John chapter 19, where Pilate said, are you not what they say? Don't you hear what they say about you? Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you by my Father above. This is God incarnate standing with someone he created. Who in just a moment is going to have him killed. And Jesus Christ says, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it had been given to you by the Father. And listen, I'm just going to do what the Father would have. My kingdom is not of this world, he said. This is not my place. Right. 
We are still called to challenge each other on a personal level as Christians. Certainly we ought to challenge each other, but when it comes to society, we're not to become some kind of political agitation that interferes with the duties and responsibilities of the authorities which God has placed over us in our society. So when it comes to our suffering, each of us needs to ask ourselves the question, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? We're to live our Christian lives in such a way that brings honor to our God. We are to be faithfully telling others about Christ in our workplaces and in our society, not only in word, but also by being good employees and good stewards of the things we have, good citizens that abide by the laws which God has given us through those established governments which do not violate his word. And if we try... and go against the law that God has placed us under. We try to challenge the world in which we live or the company with which we work into a Christian, try to challenge them into formate some kind of moral Christianity which is not biblical. And I think according to the Word of God, we've outstepped our boundaries. We've outstepped our biblical mandate. So there are wrong reasons for suffering. But there are right reasons. There are right reasons as well. And we see them here in verses 16 to 18. The first right reason to suffer is because you stand for Christ. Because you stand for Christ. But, he says, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed but in that name, let him glorify God. You realize the word Christian was originally a term of derision? I mean, we all wear that as a badge of honor in many ways here in the West, but, but originally it was a term of derision. It was, it was a, a label by which you didn't want to wear because it cost you much. It was a mocking name. Others who were under Christ were called Christians by those who hated Christ. Oh, those Christians over there. They're followers of Christ. But it became, to the Christian, a term of endearment. Why? Because it set them apart. Set them apart by way of their identity. So Peter says, if then anyone suffers as a Christian, glorify God. If that's the reason you're suffering, then glorify God. In other words, praise God. Praise God for the privilege of that suffering because you're, you're suffering alongside of Christ. It's the same way that Christ suffered. Glorify God. Add to your super, let that add to your super abounding joy that we saw we are to have or that we will have when Christ returns. When you're suffering in the sufferings of Christ, when you share the sufferings of Christ, look, let that suffering just add to your superabounding joy. Peter says, if you're suffering, it's because you're Christian because of your Christianity rather than in spite of your Christianity. That's okay. 
gives a second reason. Gives a second reason for suffering because God is purifying the church. Notice what he says, for it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. What will be come of the godless man and the sinner? Listen, with with privilege comes great responsibility. Right? The angels were cast out of heaven. Why? Because of rebellion against God. For one sin, one sin, Adam and Eve cast an entire humanity along with them into the cesspool of sin. They were cast out of the garden. The sons of Aaron, the priests of Israel, they were killed for one sin. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were instantly judged for one sin. James tells us that those who teach the Word of God will be held accountable for every word spoken. That, that that's not going to make you run real quick to the front to teach, is it? Every word? Every word, the misplaced the, the wrong placed comma. The... With higher privilege comes great responsibility. In the house of God, that responsibility is massive. It's better to endure suffering with joy now than to endure the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God. See, Peter is saying, listen, if with us in salvation, God allows this suffering to come in our lives in order to purge out from us all of those desires for for compromise, all of those desires in which we try to accommodate the flesh and try to ease the road and try to save some kind of semblance of of our own self in that if it's with great pressure, if it's with great testing and judgment that comes upon us in the household of God, what's going to be the outcome of those who do not know Jesus Christ? If it's hard for us to endure life and standing for Christ, what will it be for those who do not know Jesus Christ? Peter's essentially saying the same thing in verse 18. He's quoting Proverbs 11, verse 31. It's with difficulty the righteous is saved. He's not saying that that it's with difficulty that you come to Christ and thereby through that endurance you save yourself. No, he's saying, listen, you're purified, you're, you're made right, you're made more holy through the reality of enduring these sufferings for your faith. What's going to be the outcome of those who do not know Christ? Far worse than anything you've ever endured. In other words, allow the righteous suffer hardship now. Although you and I might go through difficulties now because of our faith, the agony of the lost will be far greater than anything we've ever endured. Now, 
I think that's what Hebrews chapter 12 really is intimating when the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross. And it says right before that, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus Christ endured all of that because he knew the glory that would come and his desire to see others come to know him. He endured that. He knew what was to come for those who did not. He knows that they will be cast into the lake of fire. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonian believers. 2 Thessalonians chapter chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, verse 3, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and inflictions which you endure. He said, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. And after all of it, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And what will he be doing? Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Wow. So how do we deal with injustice in the world? How do we deal with this kind of thing coming against us because of our Christianity? We remain dependently steadfast. And we keep dependently a dependent worthiness. <clears throat> in other words, we suffer for the right things. But thirdly, we are to be dependently trustful. Trustful. Verse 19, therefore let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. <clears throat> Peter's summarizing really everything that he said previously. That's why he uses the word therefore. All that he's talked about before, all the ways to, to endure the suffering because of Christ, when it's all said and done, we are simply to entrust ourselves to the faithful creator. That's simply to say we're to commit ourselves to God. The word entrust is an interesting word. It's, it's, it's really the same word as faith. It means really to, to make a deposit, to make a deposit. You go to the bank, you have your paycheck or whatever it is, and somebody gives you a gift or whatever, you go to the bank and you you entrust it to them. You make a deposit with them, entrusting them with that money. You entrust it to their care. This is exactly what we do with our lives. 
Because he's faithful, we can leave everything in the hands of God. We leave everything with him knowing that it's all well, it's all good. He made us. He saved us. He's allowed and orchestrated even the circumstances in which we are living. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He's the one who has strengthened us. He knows us inside. He knows us outside. He knows us in spite of it all. He loves us. He loves us. And it's in light of that, it's in light of that that we can trust him with the safekeeping of our souls. That's what he says. Let us suffer according to the will of God and trust our souls to a faithful creator. Let me ask us this. How do you react when injustice comes your way? How do you react? How do you live when trouble is inevitable? What's your reaction? Think about it. It's like I said last week, it's coming to a gathering place near you at some point. What's your reaction to injustices against you because you name the name of Christ? It's not in theory. Peter's not talking about theory here. He's talking about true Christianity. This is Christianity. Well, if you're triumphant in that, then I say, praise God. I thank God for you. I thank God that, that you're strengthened. I thank God that, that you remain. I, I, I encourage you to, to excel still more in that. I would venture to say, however, that most of you are like me. You fail. You fail to endure. And you know what Peter's saying? Listen, I know you, you're probably like me. Remember the guy who's writing this? Probably like me. I've had those moments. I've had those times. I mean, Paul's even confronting Peter in, in the book of Galatians that we're studying in our evening services, saying that Peter was, was shrinking back. This is Peter. This is an apostle. This is a guy who knows Jesus Christ. This is a guy who knows the Word of God. And he's shrinking back even after all that he's gone through. It happens. He's saying, listen, I know you can be triumphant. I know you can be triumphant if you just follow the exhortations that I'm giving. Dependently steadfast upon Christ. Dependently worthy, suffering for the right reasons. Dependently trustful. Trust yourself to Him. Trust yourself to Him. All because you are secure in Jesus Christ. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can take that away. Well, would you pray with me? Father, we're going to take communion here in a few moments. Maybe we're here this morning, we're not really facing too much difficulty by your grace. And sometimes just because of our own 
unwillingness to suffer. We haven't faced too much of that. We wonder sometimes, is it me? And Lord, we know that you bring seasons into our life, greater suffering from time to time as you strengthen us. We certainly don't want to suffer as wrongdoers. We want to stand for the truth, clearing our conscience before you, doing what you have asked of us and commanded of us, even if that might bring difficulty. Lord, we fail. Truth be known, we fail. We're like Peter. Sometimes we deny knowing you. Maybe not in words, but certainly by not standing up and saying anything. Sometimes we cower, compromise, subtle ways, rationalize. Your name is disgraced. Father, we would pray that you'd forgive us for that. We know that in Christ we have forgiveness. You're faithful and just to forgive us when we confess. I pray that that would be our heart this morning. We think about the cost, the price you paid on the cross, and what you shed for us. Pray that we would recognize our life before you, that you have us secure in your hand, that we can just simply live for you, submit ourselves to you. And like our brothers and sisters who have gone before us, we can say with clarity in our hearts, we will not bow to ungodliness. And if we perish, we perish. For we know that in the end you will deliver us because we are safe and secure in your hand. So we thank you for that, Lord. Give us courage. Help us in the midst of this godless world to live for Christ. So that others might know the saving truth. That their guilt would be gone. And that they would know life abundantly. For the sake of our Savior's name we pray. Amen.